Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and our guest today is David Feldman, the A's statistical expert and official scorer. We will talk about the rash of postponements in the last week, the A's positive COVID-19 test and the ramifications, plus a look at the rest of the way in September. Coming up next on A's Plus. David, obviously the first thing we have to talk about is this past crazy week for the A's. I've been around the A's for a very long time. You've been around the A's, I think, even longer consecutively, um, going back 20, 30 years for both of us. Uh, I've never seen anything like this. Five postponements, in essence, in seven days. Uh, and the most recent one caused by a positive coronavirus test. Um, what is your take on this past week of insanity? I mean, this really is a season like no other. And we knew that going in, that it was going to be odd. I don't think anyone figured it was going to be, have so many twists and turns as it's had. Um, you know, teams and, and all the sports, not just baseball, but basketball and hockey and soccer, uh, responding to what's going on in the world, which we've never seen before. Um, and then, you know, first you have that, and then you have the, the, coronavirus that's always lurking it's kind of like the white walkers in game of thrones right it's always there can't forget about it and winter is coming you know, winter's coming and it has its own schedule um you know and, and a one positive test can throw everything into chaos and you know looking around baseball this year and you saw the, the marlins go through this earlier you saw the cardinals go through this and they bounce back okay um, now the A's are going to have to do it with a lot less schedule in front of them to try and make up these games and, and get through the season. And that is something that, you know, in baseball now, as we're into September, if any team comes up with a, a, a positive test, they're just running out of time to make up these games. And that's going to cause a real, real problem going forward. Yeah. Uh, we've got a lot of things to kind of discuss here that are that are uh, kind of shoot off of this, uh, including all the double headers that the A's are looking at playing and how the, that may may or may not have impacted the trade deadline. But first, let's let's talk about just the positive test itself and uh, how that impacts things. I get I get asked a lot of questions about this. Uh, first of all, who is it? Well, because of medical privacy laws, the A's cannot say, MLB cannot say. In fact, they have not even specified whether it is a player, a coach, or another member of the traveling party. There, you know, There's about another 15 to 20 people that travel with the team who are not players. So it really, uh, you know, we don't know. We might not ever know. I would imagine if the A's resume playing soon, which they are expected to potentially Thursday, uh, if it is a player, we would probably know if they choose to put them on essentially what is the COVID list. Uh, but they might not, depending on that player's role or other health status. There are 28 players on the roster. So um, we might not ever know if it's somebody who who prefers that uh, that not information not be given out. There's literally nothing anybody can do about that because the medical laws are so strict. Right. Um I think the, the injured list, the COVID injured list would be our biggest clue. But like you said, that might not happen. Um, but then it comes down to contact tracing, right? Who right. has this person been involved with and who have they spent time with? And now we have to check those people out. Uh, it's, a, it's a nasty 
disease, as we all know. I mean, we're affected by this daily. Um, and an abundance of caution has been kind of the key phrase. And I think it's wise. It's just you can't – we've seen this thing run rampant through a clubhouse before. We saw that with with the Cardinals. Um, you gotta, you got to stop it as soon as you can, as, as quickly as you can. Um, so I know there's a lot of questions from people. They say, well, why do we have the taxi squad? Why do you have this expanded roster? Can't we just take that one, if it is a player, that one player off the team and replace him and play games? But the problem is you just don't know where this player has been before and if anybody else has been affected. Right. And it, we said the players are in close quarters. The assumption is they're not in a bubble, but the assumption is they're all tested every day. Um, you know, it's uh, probably okay if they've all tested negative to, you know, be sitting next to each other without masks on. It's not great. It's actually not part of the protocol really only on the field. Are they supposed to be uh, allowed to not wear masks? Uh, but uh, we certainly have seen every team has had right. many, many lapses of the actual strict protocols, which, which is understandable. So uh, they do have to test everybody on the team. Everybody on the team has to test negative twice in a row with tests not taken within 24 hours of each other. Uh, so far, the A's have done that, two rounds of testing all negative. Uh, so today people are saying, well, why can't they just play today then? Go ahead and go up there and play that series that Seattle has scheduled. Well, expert advice is that the incubation period is actually longer than just the two days this this uh, player was tested positive, not player, whoever the individual was, I should hasten to say. Um, That was testing done Friday, and the A's got the results late Saturday night. So um, the expert advice was don't play Tuesday, Wednesday. The last thing you want is the possibility of also perhaps getting any of the Mariners infected. So. Uh, we wait. We still don't know necessarily what the schedule will look like, even Thursday. Uh, my understanding is the A's are flying back to the Bay Area today, uh, Tuesday, and you know we will uh, we'll see what the schedule holds for them. And and the Mariners, you know, the Mariners have some say in this, and and most of all, the league uh, decides where, what may or may not happen. You would think a doubleheader Thursday at Seattle would make sense because the A's are already looking at probably at least two and maybe three other <laughs> double headers down the road because of this week of uh, of crazy double, uh, postponements. They've only had one makeup out of all of those five postponed games. Yeah, and then they start piling up on you. I mean, this is where the, where the schedule gets short and you're trying to make up games. And what happens if there is a, you know, another rain out somewhere? Now the possibilities are slim, but they do have two games in Colorado, and Colorado weather in September can be unpredictable. Um, they do have off days around that two-game series on Monday and Thursday, but who knows? So you'd, you'd hate to think that something else will come up to impact the schedule. Or another positive and, test or an opponent that has a, a positive right. test, which is... That's the thing. The, yeah. the opponent or you know the effect, the, the trickle-down effect this has on all the teams involved. Now it has an effect on Houston. It has an effect on Seattle. Um, who knows as we go forward? Right. Well, I'm looking at the schedule right now, David. We know that the doubleheader against Texas from the the game that was postponed as a result of the racial justice uh, statement that the A's made, that will be played on September 12th, Saturday, um, at Texas. But the last time the A's play Houston is next week, 
four games at the Coliseum, you would imagine one of those games will wind up being a doubleheader. Uh, it has not been announced, but you would have to think that that's the case. Seattle, uh, if the even if the A's play a doubleheader Thursday, if they have to make up that other, that third game in the series, the Mariners do come to the Coliseum for the very last series of the season. I am told, depending on the playoff situation, they might not necessarily have to get that game in. Uh, EVAs will be setting up playoff, playoff pitching, rotation plans, all of that. The last thing they need is a doubleheader. If worse comes to worse, David, you know what I'm going to say. That 28th, the Monday, September 28th, that's the day after the regular season ends. That's set aside for makeup dates if needed. So if they had to have a game then, if, they, if any of these games are not played and they're needed, they have that game too. Um, well, we've kind of gone over and over this, but how bad a scenario would that be for a potential uh, playoff team? I, it's horrible. Uh, and the Cardinals are going to be dealing with the same thing. Um, they were able to reschedule all their games but two, and those two are tentatively scheduled for that Monday. <laughs> uh, and the Cardinals are in the thick of this, this playoff race in the A's. And, you know, and then Major League Baseball has to decide what's important. Is it important to play for home field advantage? Is it important, you know, what's the, what playoff spot do you still play those games for? Um, that decision has to be made because you're right. What about screwing up your pitching trying to go into a three-game series? And you have to play two games on that Monday and start the playoffs on Tuesday. Um, that's that's the worst case scenario for any team. You don't want that to happen. So hopefully the A's can find a way to get these games covered or not need to play on the 28th. Well, that's all a mess. Now the A's did something smart. They were targeting starting pitching all along. They almost always target starting pitching when they're in contention and the trade deadline is approaching. But in this case, I think people saw Mike Miner, looked at his numbers this season and were underwhelmed, but the A's needed a sixth starter uh, and a major league experienced veteran type starter because of all of these doubleheaders and a little bit, some of that underperformance elsewhere. Uh, we know how good the A's are at taking established guys who are maybe either in bad patterns with pitch usage or, you know, maybe a little bit of a, some, some sort of something hinky going on with the mechanics and, and making little adjustments. Almost every veteran that has come to the A's midseason or some that have come on like the one-year free agent contracts, the A's have really done wonders with rejuvenating them and going into a pennant race for a guy who has been on a team that's been, you know, at or near the bottom all year, well, all year, a month. Um, <laughs> that often rejuvenates guys, too, as just surely does pitch it in the Coliseum. What do you think of the yeah, Mike Miner acquisition? I like Mike Miner. Um, he was a name that was on my list as uh, somebody who's in the last year of a three-year deal. Um, so, yes, it is a rental. The A's gave up two of their 2019 draft picks for them, and the A's have no problem dealing prospects, which, which I like, because you just never know. Now you're dealing with a no commodity somebody was an all-star last year it's having a tough year but you look at the below the numbers and his biggest issues are walks and homers um but his last outing at the dodgers he went six shutout innings he looked better um this is a a you know fastball change slider the change is his out pitch a, kind of a typical left-hander um he's gotten hurt from the slider so they need to tighten that up uh the walks are have been an issue um but again, I, I do have this, this feeling of belief with the A's coaching staff and Scott Emerson that they can take pitchers like this and refine them and find out what 
might be hampering them and correct it. Um, the A's are going to need uh, another starter with all these double headers, there's no doubt. And you look at the, the pitching staff, you have your starters and your nine relievers. Um, but your nine relievers, you're, there's really only trust in five of them at the moment, the way the A's are using them, right? Hendricks, Soria, Petit, and the two left-handers. We've been seeing these guys being employed over and over again in games the A's are, looks like they're going to win. And they've been fantastic. The A's have the best bullpen ERA in the league. Uh, they don't lose games when they get the lead. Um, you know, and then be, under that is J.D. Wendelkin, uh, who's been used in high-pressure situations in the, in the sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh innings, coming with guys on base. And then you have the three other guys, right? Trevino, who's pitched much better now. Um, you might see him moved up in the leverage situation. But then you have Megden and Ween. So Miner's basically taking the, the Megden space. Well, that's an upgrade. That's a huge upgrade. Um, this is a legitimate starting pitcher who could also pitch out of the bullpen. When he came back from injury, uh, he signed with the Royals. He pitched out of the bullpen exclusively. So he has experience doing that. And with that changeup can be a big weapon. So I, I really like the Mike Miner trade. And I think he's going to pitch uh, better in September than he did in August. Yeah, I, I would think that, that between the A's defense and the Coliseum alone and all those home games, I think that's probably a safe bet. I like it. You know, we've seen him at edges very bad. This is a guy who put up a 7.8 war last year. I mean, this is yeah. this is a guy who's legit. He's 32. It's not like he's 39 and at 38 he had a good season. Um, you know, he's still, for a pitcher, relatively in his prime. And the A's like what they see. David Forst said yesterday that the team had talked to him extensively when he was a free agent. So they've liked him for a long time. They usually do like guys that they, they wind up acquiring. Mike Fires is one of the guys who they acquired mid-season uh, a couple years ago and just sheerly through uh, pitch usage, you know, try to use this, mm-hmm. use the elevate the fastball, you know, change the eye level. It, he wound up having a much better rest of the season than what he, he'd started off with. So uh, I, I think it's good. Speaking of uh, certainly an upgrade, the A's had Franklin Barreto on their roster. He was not getting used at all. And they wind up swapping him for Tommy Listella, who was hitting second every day in an extremely good Angels lineup. What do you think of that move? Yeah, I was originally. I'm like, oh, why? Why do the A's need a second baseman? Tony Kemp's doing a good job. Uh, Pinder's been fine. And then you kind of look deeper, and you go, well, Tommy Listella, and again, another guy who was a 2019 All Star, has much more power than Tony Kemp, a much better track record. Um, from the left-handed side and you replace Barreto. So you're basically replacing Barreto with Tony Kemp. Well, that's a huge upgrade there. Um, you know, I know the A's like Tony Kemp's speed and he is a good base runner. He's not a great base stealer. He's not somebody who's going to steal a bag. So you're not really losing that element, but he's a very good base runner. So you're still going to see him late in game. Um, but Lestella's legit and he's a contact hitter. I mean, this is an A's team that obviously their biggest struggles is in strikeouts. And one of the things they've been worst at this year is runners at third, less than two outs, putting the ball in play. As a team, they're scoring that runner only 41% of the time, which is the worst in the American League. The league average is around 51 52%. So it's actually a little lower than most people think it is anyway. But 42% is really low. And that's because of strikeouts. Tommy Listella in that situation this year has driven in that runner seven of eight times, including once on Saturday with the A's. Uh, that's just a small upgrade, but it's a big one because it, it scores you runs. So I, I, the more I thought about it, I said, this is, you, you just replaced 
a guy who just a, a disappointed at the ma- disappointment at the major league level and Franklin Barreto uh, with a, an all-star, a guy who was an all-star last year. That's a huge upgrade. Exactly. That's what, that's my thinking. Now well, we, we should talk a little bit about the Franklin Barreto. Like, I guess we can't call it era, but certainly we've all known about him for a long time, dating back to the Josh Donaldson deal, which is the most controversial deal. I think we can probably say of Billy Bean's tenure. Uh, Billy, when I talked to him last week for, the A's Plus podcast, um, you know, he, he jokes about it from time to time. It's kind of a nightmare for, for him. He brought it up himself. I didn't, I was not <laughs> twisting the knife or anything, but um, we talked a little bit about Barreto and and he acknowledged it, it might be time essentially for him to move on. And, and it was, do you see him being an everyday type major league player? Because we never really got a long enough look at him, I think, to tell. Boy, the times that we did see him, his, his pitch recognition was so poor. It was just swing, 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 and he wasn't swinging in the strike zone. Uh, it was really frustrating to watch. I mean, he played 95 games with the A's, uh, seven walks, 92 strikeouts. 92 strikeouts and 211 at-bats. So almost half his at-bats ended up being strikeout. And it was just poor pitch recognition. Now, we never saw him at a real long stretch to get comfortable in the play and to know that he was his job. But sometimes you got to go out and earn it. And he didn't earn it. He, he did have a few chances. And, and as we've always said, except for playing the White Sox, uh, he was terrible. And so I, I wish him well in, in, with the Angels, and maybe he'll get a chance to play every day. Honestly, I don't know if he'll ever be an everyday player. I just I didn't see it. Um, obviously, enough baseball people think it's still there. He's still a young man, but for me, I, I have questions. Yeah, I I wish the years where the A's were not in contention, that they had been able to just go ahead and throw Barreto out there. He might not quite have been ready then, um, but he was up a little bit, and uh, that would have been the time to do it. They just, you know, the last two years in contention, now they couldn't really, you know, they, they'd throw him out there for a game or two. He'd have a bunch of poor at-bats and just kind of look a little bit lost. And then that the experiment would be over. Uh, but I, I think that there is something there. Uh, I it's I don't think he's just a guy that hits 450 in the spring and that's it. I, I think uh, I think he could be a pretty useful player. So I, I hope he gets an opportunity. That would be that would be kind of fun to see. And the A's wind up. I guess you could say they wind up with Tommy Lastella as a result of all the Josh Donaldson deal. Is that kind of where we are? Is that the string stopping basically? That, that's it. So if the A's do end up being very successful in the postseason this year, uh, and time with Stella is a big part of it, then maybe the deal is successful, right? <laughs> still, 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 still not a great deal. Yeah, it's uh, this is uh, it, this is just the most fascinating year. But this this trade is a uh, among the among the things that I I did not see coming, but it, it's pretty fascinating. We'll be back with more with David Feldman in just a moment, but. If you want to read more about the Oakland A's and about all of their recent postponements and their upcoming schedule, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle. You can do so at sfchronicle.com slash pod. We're now in the second half. Uh, It's one month to go. Where do you see this team? Well, it's, it's a team that's really been successful because of Bullpen pitching, closing out games, 
um, and hitting enough homers at the right time because offensively as a whole, this has not been a very consistent offense, right? They, they just they don't hit for a high average. Um, as you talked about, they strike out more than anybody else in the league, um, which is okay at times. I mean, I'm not one of those you always have to put the ball in play. I get it. There's just there's just a time and a place where you need to put the ball in play, and the A's need to improve that. Um, nobody on the offense is really carrying the team. We, we've seen little spurts. We saw Matt Olson have a nice home run run, and then now he's swinging through fastballs that I think he's even amazed that he's swinging through. Um, no one's really gotten hot, hot. Loriano got off to a good start. He had the suspension. He's struggled since. So they're making do, and they're making do because of their, their bullpen, and, and when they have a lead, just shutting it down. Uh, is that a formula to sustain? Maybe in a short season. You like to see the offense pick up. You like to see a little more consistency. You like to see some rallies. I mean, they hit 214 with runners in scoring position. Uh, second worst in baseball. You need to improve that uh, to take a little of the pressure off the bullpen because, you know, Petit and Soria only have so many bullets. And with so many games in such a short period of time, you could really run those guys into the ground. So you need the offense to pick it up and give the pitching staff a little more leeway. Yeah, it's uh, the bullpen has really just been so astonishing this year. And you kind of think it, at some point, you know, especially with so much work, does that change? I mean, it, it, it's really been they've been remarkable. Uh, I think I think they would we could probably say they've actually overperformed a little bit uh, in some sense. And Liam Hendricks has just turned into an absolute star, probably the A's team MVP to date. But bullpens that tend to see a lot of use, the the results can waver pretty substantially at some point. So I think the A's are going to have to be careful with that. Yeah, very much so. And that's where you need to get a little more length out of your starters and a little more offense, again, to give that that padding. And we talked about all these doubleheaders that are coming up. Um, And this A's team, I I think the seven inning games, which I don't like, just doesn't seem like major league baseball. Um, but seven inning games do not play into the A's favor. And the reason I say that is because the A's strength is their bullpen. So they, they want to match up bullpen and bullpen. They're probably going to come out ahead. And also their offense, their offense struggles against starting pitching. Um, this year they have an OPS plus plus of 84 against starting pitching. But when they get into the other team's bullpen, that's when they start to do damage. They have an OPS plus of 116 against the opponent's bullpen. Uh, and we've seen it time and time and again. The A's score late. They, they come back. They have three wins when trailing after six. Uh, or Sorry, five wins when trailing after six. Three wins when trailing after seven. This is a good late ball club because their offense picks up against the bullpen. And on the other side, the A's bullpen shuts down the opponent. With seven inning games, that advantage is sort of neutralized. We've talked about this a little bit over the last probably couple of years, but do they need to diversify their offense a little bit? And if so, how? That's the how. <laughs> I, I think Tommy Lestella helps that because he is a contact hitter who's going to put the ball and play more and be a guy who keeps the you know the offense turning over. Um, really, the strikeouts, that's where it, it hampers you. It, it, it stops rallies. It stops moving runners along. Uh, but having a contact hitter in LaStella should help that. Um, you don't want to take away the aggressiveness and the home run hitting. I mean, look, the A's have been 197 games since the last two years because they hit a lot of home runs. So that is, in the most part, been successful. But a few more balls in play, and, and Robbie Grossman's helping this out this year. 
Uh, he's been a wonder. Uh, Marcana has been giving good at bat after good at bat. That's helping. And I think Tom Ostella will help. Canna, I believe, is uh, leading the majors in pitches seen, so uh, yes. which is not surprising. But my goodness, he's he's really tremendous. You know, that's that's the thing is we talk about. You know, the A's haven't had that one consistent great player, but they've had Canna and Grossman be pretty solid all the way through. Uh, their numbers don't jump out at you like you look at their batting average or some of their strikeouts, but the peripherals taking a lot of pitches. Um, coming up, get it, putting the ball in play. Uh, that's what's been driving this offense and keeping the offense motoring. And the other guy who's just been tremendous and had a tremendous August was Steven Piscotti uh, with his ability to drive in runs and be a, a, a clutch player coming up with big hit after big hit. This was the guy that they, they traded for from St. Louis with all the potential and the, and the contract because he is a run producer and they saw that throughout August. So that is, you know, this was not the Stephen Piscotty of last year who was, who was hurt most of it. This is a force in the lineup. Yeah, he's a, I mean, he's just such a useful player. Just, you know, very good defensive player. Uh, I know they hate the Trey's clutch in the, the analytics world, but he really does seem to be a clutch guy. I mean, those RBIs just, just show it. We've seen over the years there are some players who are better with runners in scoring position than when there is nobody and, and the opposite but he's a guy who seems to thrive with runners in scoring position. If you're the A's, what do you do with Matt Olson right now? Obviously, he has to be in the lineup. He's got the power. He's got just a he's a magnificent defensive first baseman. But otherwise, he is essentially as you pointed out, it's kind of killing rallies with all the strikeouts. Yeah, and just swinging through pitches that he's expecting to hit. I mean, that's you look at his face after he swings and misses and he's he's wondering how did I miss that? So maybe in an odd way, this time off could actually help him to regroup and see if he's doing something wrong mechanically. Uh, I like the, I, the fact that they dropped him in the lineup. Um, you know, the A's don't do that very often, but, you know, in a short season, you have to make decisions, and they made a decision to drop him, and I think that was a good decision, take a little bit of the pressure off of him and hoping to start making contact. Uh, his defense has been tremendous. Obviously, the, the homers, the 10 home runs already. Um, you've got to keep him in the lineup and you just hope he gets going. You just don't want to see um, not the A's Chris Davis, but the Orioles Chris Davis, who, who got into a rut where he started swinging and missing so much he couldn't get out of it. I, I don't see that happening with Matt Olson, but you just, you know, half a season left here, you, you got to start putting the ball in play and being a little more productive, maybe some more bunts. He's been very good at taking advantage of that, maybe even a few more of those just to get on base. Yeah, I love it when he does that. I wish he would do that all the time. Um, I don't know if you're a guy who pulls essentially your entire life. If you can learn to use the whole field, is that possible? Is that something he needs to do? Maybe at least go up the middle more? Yeah, I think trying to center and go up the middle is smart. I don't think you're going to say you go be a spray hitter. You don't want to lose his power and, and what his effectiveness is, and that's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. But you do need to say, hey, start thinking up the middle. Um, don't try and, and jack every ball out, but just try and hit the ball hard on line drives up the middle. The home runs are going to come. I mean, his swing is built for home runs. You're seeing him go up and in on Olsen a little bit more, which I always thought was the place to go because he kind of has a long swing and when he stands. Um, so he's going to have to be a little quicker with his hands to get around on that and make adjustments um, and get the confidence back. As you know, so much of this game is confidence and how you feel 
uh, the great Jason Giambi line. You have to feel sexy at the plate. Uh, you have to. You have to feel confident that you're going to do damage when you're when you're up there. And right now, I don't think Matt Olson has that confidence. What, what do you think of the way that they have handled Chris Davis? Essentially, he's now a platoon DH. I think he's forced their hand until this is the way you have to do it. He just he's not he's not the Chris Davis of two years ago. He's a different player in that when kind of like Fernando Barreto when he gets in there, he has his chances and he doesn't do anything. Right? He had the home run in Seattle and at a big moment and three hits and it looked like he was coming out of it and then just as quickly it went away again. Um, if you're an A's fan and he comes up with runners on base, he's the last guy you want to see come up. Uh, different than two years ago when he was the guy you definitely wanted coming up in late innings with guys on base. You have, as a fan, you have no faith in him. He's forced the A's hands to not play him. Yeah, it's a, it's really, it's a, it's just kind of a shame because he is a great guy in the clubhouse. His teammates love him. Uh, I figured he would be back more to the Chris Davis we know this year, you know, 247 and, uh, extrapolating, you know, the 40-plus homer power over a two-month season. But uh, he still just lo- looks lost. I, w- I would have been interested to see what, in a 162-game season, what he would have done. But they would have, you know, if he'd gotten off to as bad a start as he did in a regular season as he did this year, the A's would not have necessarily had the luxury of keeping him on the roster this long because of the that they wouldn't have this uh, extra roster spot. So... It makes you nervous about the, the big money contracts, right? The A's don't offer them very often. And the two most prevalent ones are uh, the Eric Chavez contract and now the Chris Davis contract. And both didn't work out very well. So what does that bode for the future? Because you have some guys coming up who are cornerstones of your team right now. I really do wonder how the A's are looking at the futures of Simeon, Chapman, Olsen, what they're thinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, David, they just don't have very good luck when it comes to long-term deals, period. Uh, Billy Butler, say. Not not a guy that they gave an extension to, but a guy they gave a three-year deal to. And, uh, you know, they wound up having to pay a whole year when he wasn't even with the team. Uh, We could go back, even just uh, young players that they signed up to free agency. Some of those guys almost immediately got hurt after signing deals, uh, it's it's really been astonishing the number of players that the A's have tried to, you know, keep in the fold longer or at least get through free agency who have not wound up being healthy for the majority of those contracts. So uh, I can see why the, the A's can't absorb bad contracts the way teams with a bigger income stream or a better TV deal can, uh, so they have to be careful. And I do think that they are much more leery because of the uh, the past results they've had with some of these long-term deals. Yeah, how can you not be? I mean, you think about even Brady Anderson and Trevor Cahill, uh, they sign they sign through the arbitration years, and then right away they get hurt. Yeah. Um, it's just it's just this kind of this black cloud over this. Um, and it's got to impact their thinking as they go forward with some of these players who are coming up. Um, some decisions have to be made eventually here, and uh, and it's going to be really interesting to see. I mean, with Chris Davis, he's still on the books, and that's not a contract they're going to be able to move, I don't think. So, boy, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I, I, I go back to, like, even, I think Bobby Crosby, I think it was, like, yeah. almost right away after he got signed a 
a little bit of an extension just uh, Im immediately began having back problems and Chavez before him and yeah it's uh it's going to be interesting it, before this season I would have said that if you had to pick one of the three I would have actually picked Olsen I still think I would say that despite his uh kind of strange season but uh, I don't think they've got a shot at Chapman Scott Boris is his agent right. Scott essentially has hinted strongly that it's you know he's not going to do any extension that wipes out any years beyond free agency um which is pretty much an indication that he expects his client would go at free agency and go elsewhere so um and Simeon I if I'm the A's I try to get it done but I don't know if they can do Simeon and Olson I just would I would find that very unlikely it's gonna be interesting with Simeon um Seeing how he finishes this year, I mean, he hasn't had the year like last year, which was a career year, but still um, effective and um, going into his free agency. The A's, as we as we found out, really don't have a backup shortstop. And there, if there's something wrong with this A's roster, it's that right now. Absolutely. Is that they don't have a backup shortstop. Um, and going into next year, if they were to lose Simeon, uh, they would have to go out and, and find a shortstop. But Simeon might be... You know, if he goes on the free agent market, it might not be that big money that he thought he was going to get originally, if this was a normal season. It might be one of those times where the A's can offer him the, uh, the arbitration year um, and get that, what, it's going to be 17 million, maybe even a less this year, and get him for one more year, which might be a possibility. Yeah. I mean, who knows what the market would look like this year? Um, we've mentioned before uh, Simeon changed agents before last season to Joel Wolf, Wolf of the Wasserman Group. Joel is among the best in the business, former A's minor leader, by the way. Uh, and uh, you don't change agents as you're approaching free agency without a desire to go out and get a, a deal commensurate with your peers. Uh, and that was one of the reasons when the A's talked to Simeon about a contract extension a few years ago, things didn't work out because the A's numbers weren't quite lining up with some of the other young shortstops that had signed extensions at that point. Uh, so it's going to be tough, but this market is just, there's no way. It, teams don't know what their income will be next year. They've all took it, taken a bath this year. They've lost tons of money. Um, They'll make some of it up with the TV contracts still being honored this year because the games are being played, but I they don't know what they'll be getting next year. So how do you set a payroll? Henry Schulman and I have a story in the in the Chronicle to, uh, on A1 today. How do, how do you set your payroll when you don't know if you're going to be able to sell tickets or when or what capacity your building will be allowed to hold? Uh, I, I think it could just be a, an absolutely insane. I feel very badly for these guys that have waited for free agency for six plus years and are coming out into this complete unknown of a market. Really? And the unknown, and that's the key word. And who knows what baseball is going to look like next year? Um, we just don't know. And like you said, you, you're guessing, you're guessing on a revenue stream. You're guessing on how much money you're going to have and what the budgets are going to be. And then what the market's going to bear for these free agent players. And how, and how does a year like this even affect the arbitration eligible players? It's it's all such an unknown. Um, it's it's true. These guys who've worked so hard and you get this freedom and you go into this land that's no one knows what they're traversing. Yeah. Well, Feldy, it feels like we we always have a million things that we could talk about because of the ins and outs of the season are just spectacularly bizarre. 
But uh, hopefully the <laughs> next time we talk, maybe we will be talking about uh, looming playoffs and, and different possibilities for pitching rotations, et cetera. Don't even get me started on I have no idea if I'm the A's, how I would line up my postseason pitching, because I would have thought Frankie Montas would be an absolute <laughs> lock to pitch a game one and try to get him involved in as many games in his series as possible. But right now, that might not necessarily be the case. Well, you, you know, and that's something about going down the stretch in these games and, and trying to be first place. I think playing at home in that first three-game series, when and I believe the, the wild card series is still going to be at the home ballparks, not in, in a bubble, I believe, at this point. Um, I think playing at home is huge for the A's. I think winning the division is still such a huge goal. Um, you know, they're 13-4 and four at home this year and 9-8 and eight on the road. It's a big difference. They play really well at the Coliseum. It, it's conducive to their pitching staff. And also just the fact of winning the division is a big, big thing. Um, I, I, think, I think the A's are going to make the playoffs. Um, I don't think that's that much in doubt unless they just have a long losing streak coming up. I think they're better than that, so I don't know that that's going to happen. But I think winning the division is still has to be their goal. Um, and then you get into that, that first round, and you could be playing a White Sox team or a Blue Jays team, uh, teams you have not seen all year. And that, that's such a mystery when you're playing teams you haven't seen, you have no history against. And that's going to affect which team you play, which pitchers you're going to pitch. Right, because if you face the the White Sox, they are mostly a right-handed power-hitting team, so you might see more right-handers going early in that that. If you play the Twins, that's a left-handed hitting team, so maybe it's Lazardo pitching. Maybe Mike Miner gets a start against a Minnesota Twins team. It's so intriguing to to face off against teams you haven't seen all year, and I think for the A's, I think it's to their advantage if they play those games at home. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I could just see another scenario in which is this is yet another year in which they, the A's pass over Mike Fires for a critical game and wind up uh, falling on their face somehow, and Mike Fires is left furious again. <laughs> I know. Third year in a row. If you look at it, I mean, right now to me, uh, Lazardo uh, is probably my my number one starter, no matter who the A's play, just because of his velocity and come out. And I want a hard thrower in game one, um, just because everybody's amped up. But after that, who knows? I really, and this could all change too. Maybe Frankie Montas becomes the Frankie Montas of early last year. And in like the looks of him, I just, it's, we got a long way to go, a lot of games in a short amount of time, and still a lot of decisions to make. Well, David, it's delightful to always have you on no matter what the circumstances are. Thanks for your insights, and I am certain we will be talking to you again before the end of this incredibly strange 2020 baseball season. Thanks for joining us on A's Plus. Thank you. Our thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on A's Plus. You can follow David on Twitter at dfeldy. Our producers today were King Kaufman and G. Allen Johnson. We will be back again next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support A's Plus and all of the Chronicle's journalism by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod.